Let's briefly pray. Let's all pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, we turn to your word, wanting to hear you speak. Lord, give us hearts, give us ears that are open and receptive to your word, that Lord, we may respond uh, and that Lord, we may see something more of the Lord Jesus Christ and our hearts be drawn out to praise and worship him in fullness and aright, we pray. Help us, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Have you uh, ever asked yourself, why do I do the things I do? Including, why do I do things I don't want to do that, that I know I shouldn't do. And with that comes the question, how can I really change the things that I do do so that I stop doing the things that I don't want and start doing what I want and know that I should do? I think these are some of the most basic and vital questions that we need to be asking ourselves. And yet, we have to recognize that to understand and be able to answer these questions, we are ultimately reliant on God's wisdom and revelation. Uh, God knows us better than we know ourselves because he made us. And if we try to, to figure out things for ourselves, we invariably reach the wrong conclusions. If, for instance, and, and I did this, you just uh, Google these kind of questions. Why do I do the things that I do? How can I change? Uh, people will often suggest that it's all down to our minds and the things that we think about, uh, with the suggestion that our thoughts dictate our actions. And so uh, we just need to think about the things that we want to do and then do them. Uh, as simple and, and straightforward as that. Just change your thinking and your behaviours and actions will follow. Or, or others say that our behaviours are, are down to our environment, to external pressures and, and circumstances that, that control and dictate what we do and the choices that we make. But while our, our mind and the pressures of our circumstances are often significant factors, God in the Bible gives us a deeper and more complete answer. And a good summary of God's answer, of, of his wisdom and revelation, is found, perhaps unsurprisingly, in the wisdom book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 4 and verse 23. Uh, there God says, Proverbs 4 uh, and verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Or, or perhaps uh, in this instance, the NIV puts it just slightly clearer. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So God's answer is that our hearts are key and decisive. That from within, 
out of the very spiritual core and center of our being, spring forth and flow everything we ever do, whether that's good or bad, conscious or unconscious. So I'd like us to to think about this this morning, considering this proverb and how this catchy proverbial summary is then seen and fleshed out throughout the rest of the Bible. And I'd like us just to to think about uh, two things from this verse, Proverbs 4.23. Firstly, we'll start at the end with that last phrase, for out of it our heart spring the issues of life. And we'll think about how our heart is a spring or, or, or fountainhead from which flows everything we ever do. And then secondly, we'll, we'll end at the beginning thinking about that first phrase, keep or guard your heart. And we'll see how and why our hearts need to be kept and guarded and taken such care of. Noting the urgency and effort required. It's with all diligence or above all else. So let's begin by by thinking about how our hearts are a spring or a fountainhead from which flows everything we ever do. Uh, The imagery here uh, is of a river at its source, uh, tracing things back to the original place where the water emerges from and begins to flow downstream. Often with a river that's high up in the hills or or mountains, uh, with the water gushing out from some underground spring so as to bring the more visible outward stream and and flow of water into existence. And this proverb is is using that to illustrate that it is, as it were, from from underground, from, from inside that all our thoughts and words and actions begin and come out from the heart. That is the source. That that heart, our hearts, are like this spring, this, this fountainhead from which everything we ever do bubbles up and gushes out into our lives. Uh, in the New Testament, Uh, Jesus uses a different picture to show the same thing. Uh, Perhaps you would like to turn to Luke and chapter 6, where in verses 43 and and 44, Jesus talks about different trees. Uh, A good tree uh, that cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree that cannot bear good fruit. Uh, And then he says in Luke 6 and verse 45, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's Jesus using this illustration of a tree. A tree that either brings forth good or bad fruit, depending on whether deep down inside it is a good or bad tree. 
And what makes a tree good or bad deep down is, of course, its roots and where it is drawing its life from. So Jesus is making this this direct and, and determining connection between a tree's root system and the fruit that it produces. If a tree has good roots, it will produce good fruit. If a tree has bad roots, it will produce bad fruit. And Jesus uses this illustration to talk about people, about us. A good person is someone who has a good heart and from that good treasure brings forth good, good words and and good actions. But a bad person is someone who has a bad, corrupt heart. And out of that bad treasure brings forth evil. And Jesus reinforces this connection between the root, the, the heart, and its fruit, everything that we do, by concluding with the example, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now that's, that's how we work. Our, our hearts and, and what is in our hearts determine our actions and what we say and do. That, that is why we do the things we do. We either do good things because in that moment our heart is good or we do bad things because in that moment our heart is evil and corrupt. Our hearts are the source, are the spring, the the fountainhead of everything we do. Every word, every action we say and do flows out and comes forth from our hearts. For out of it, out of our hearts, spring the issues of life. And so because of this, the Bible everywhere, including particularly this this proverb we're looking at this morning, emphasizes the need to keep or guard our hearts. For our hearts to be kept as a pure and clean water source so that everything that flows out from it, all our words and actions, will be pure and clean. And so let's secondly think about how and why our hearts need to be kept and guarded and and taken care of. In the New Testament's uh, main wisdom book, uh, James seems to pick up on this imagery from Proverbs here, while talking about our untamable tongues. He laments in chapter 3, saying that even as Christians, we can one moment use our tongue to bless our God and Father, and the next to curse men who have been made in the similitude and the image of God. He despairs that out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Saying in verse 11, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring 
send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening. Well, clearly it ought not to be. And this illustration of the, of the spring not sending forth fresh and bitter water show, shows just how, how, how wrong it is. But sadly, I know from the way that I speak that that is exactly how I am so often, even as a Christian. I, I'm speaking well of God with one breath and speaking badly of someone else with the next. And this is bad fruit, which shows that I still have a bad, corrupt root, an evil heart. Now, I am a Christian. Uh, and at conversion, uh, the Bible tells me, uh, and my experience has been, that there has been a seismic shift that has taken place within my heart. Uh, as, I, as I repented of my sin uh, and I turned in faith to trust the Lord Jesus, I was, the Bible describes it, born again. I was regenerated within, effectively being given a whole new heart. I became alive to God within my heart where previously I had been dead. And for the very first time, I had a genuine love and loyalty towards God. And now ongoing, I have the ability, I'm in a relationship with him where I can love and know and enjoy God more and more. And in a very real sense, I was and am, at conversion, a new creation. Old things passed away. And behold, all things became new, as as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. And yet all of us know that for all this newness, in that moment... And in all the years that have passed since, I was not made pure and perfect within. Far from it. Now, now my new and my deepest longing of heart is to now love and be loyal to God and my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And I, like every other believer, from, from the moment of my conversion, am indwelt by the Holy Spirit who is a very real and tangible uh, presence and power of God, so that I'm enabled to live as I should, in a way that, that wasn't possible before. And yet for all that, I still sin, often, almost continually. Uh, my my cursing people moments after blessing God is just one example of bad fruit. Bad fruit in my life. Bad words. Bad actions. And each and every bad fruit, those outward sins, can be traced back to a bad heart. A corrupt heart. One in which sin remains 
and is very much present. Or to use the imagery of a river at its source from my heart, fresh and bitter water are still pouring out, even though that should not be so. In moments where my heart is is turned towards God and I'm loving God, I bring forth good fruit. But in moments where my heart is turned away and indifferent toward God, I bring forth evil fruit. If this wasn't so, we wouldn't be instructed here and elsewhere to keep or guard our hearts and take so seriously, diligently, our battle with remaining sin. Now, of course, like like most of us, my focus in, in battling sin tends to usually be a concern for my outward appearance, my, my actions and my words. And, and I try to control or conceal those things. But that is just a focus on the rottenness of bad fruit, not the bad root. But the Bible says time and time again that if we want to understand why I do the things I do and with that how really I can change the things I do, I have to trace every outward visible bad fruit back to its inward concealed bad root, back to the heart. so what is going on in our hearts what do we need to be guarding against well interestingly i think one of the most helpful ways that the bible speaks of our problem indeed perhaps it is the biggest way the bible describes our problem is idolatry now, that, that might seem strange because to us often idolatry sounds very external. We could think of it as a bad fruit rather than an internal root heart problem. And with that, largely an Old Testament problem. Not something we often encounter today, at least in our culture. But you may know that uh, even in the Old Testament, God identifies idolatry as a problem of the human heart. Uh, For example, think about, and perhaps you'd like to turn to, Ezekiel and chapter 14. Uh, And I'll just read at the start of verse 3, but if you just flick uh, uh, and have a look at the next few verses, you'll see that this language is being used uh, throughout. And so in verse 3 of uh, Ezekiel chapter 14, uh, the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel saying, Son of man, these men, the elders of Israel, have set up their idols in their hearts and and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Again, their their outward love and and loyalty for, for foreign idol gods 
where literally, physically, they bowed down and, and worshipped images and statues began and could be traced back to their hearts and what they loved and worshipped and, and bowed down to and served in their hearts. Their outward acts of idolatry, as this verse here in Proverbs describes, flows from and out of their hearts and their inward act of idolatry in their hearts. And God threatens them here that he will not listen to them while they served other gods in their hearts. Because very often these people with with one breath were, were blessing and praying to the true God and with another worshipping and serving their idols. And this, this massive problem of idolatry that that appeared to be very external and literal in the Old Testament, but but actually had its source and roots in heart idolatry, is still very much the biggest human problem today. Even for us as, as God's people, who are blessing and, and praying to the true God one moment, but inwardly serving and bowing down to idols in our hearts the next. And if this is a, a bit confusing, then hopefully the idolatry language that is found in the New Testament helps to clarify this. Perhaps you'd like to, to turn to Matthew and chapter 6, and I'll read to you some of the famous verses that Jesus spoke from his Sermon on the Mount. Now there in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, we read, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then just skipping verses 22 and 23 for now and continuing to read verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, are you seeing uh, the language of heart idolatry in those verses? There is the, the laying up of treasure, either on earth or in heaven, uh, with Jesus saying that we can't have both because that would be like us having two masters, two gods that we serve, the, the true God and mammon, mammon being earthly treasure, money, and, uh, and materialism. And in these verses, Jesus identifies the real core issue of the heart, which is what or whom we love and are loyal to. Or we could say the affections of our hearts and the allegiance of our hearts. 
hearts. This is what Jesus is saying there in verse 24. You cannot serve two masters for you will either love the one and hate the other or be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon remains one of the most prevalent modern day idols. And while it has very much is is outward form, uh, the fruit, all, all the material possessions and money that we go after, crucially, Jesus is identifying it as a matter of the heart, what we love and are loyal to, what we treasure, what we serve. Are we in our hearts loving and being loyal to, to what could be described as, as a fake God, the, the idol mammon? Or are we from our hearts loving and being loyal to, treasuring and serving the true God? And this is what is going on in our hearts actually all of the time. Uh, You see, we were made with hearts that worship, that uh, ascribe worth-ship, value, treasure, glory, praise, that that love and are loyal to something. Of course, we were made to worship the true God. But so often, sadly, we make for ourselves false gods of our own imagination. Things that we believe are going to provide for us and protect us. Things we believe will will give us purpose and and pleasure. Things that we value and treasure as as of greatest worth and praise that we we glory and, and boast in. And Jesus is being so insightful when he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever outward physical things you're you're valuing and going after is revealing what inwardly your heart is worshipping and wanting. What you, you truly love and are loyal to, where your affections and allegiance lie. In this case, is it the true God? Or is it the fake God, mammon? Uh, And mammon, money uh, and materialism is just one possible fake God that we could go after and worship and serve in our hearts. Uh, Fame, uh, status and power, uh, business, academic or sporting success, love and, and romance, family and friends. All of these good things and and many more can so easily be made into God things that in our hearts we worship and and we pledge our love and loyalty to. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 1 explains what has happened in human history. Uh, There in in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 and following, we're told, although they, the human race, knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. 
but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Uh, With verse 25 going on to explain, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. And so a great and terrible exchange has taken place. The human race en masse has believed a lie. And we worship and serve the creature, things in creation made by God, rather than the creator. The external evidence and fruit of this can be seen everywhere in all of our lives. But its source and root, the place where this exchange has ultimately happened, is in our hearts. Each one of us exchanges what we were made to do, worship the true God, for the lie that something in creation, something in this world can replace God, can be a God that we worship, that we serve, that we love, that we are loyal to. And our hearts are continually doing this. That they are always busy and active. That we are instinctively, continually worshippers. In our hearts, we either have God as the supreme object of our love and loyalty or something or someone else. And sadly, even as Christians, that fluctuates and changes because there is this battle within us for the love and loyalty of our hearts, for our affections and allegiance, for them to be given to God and him alone. And yet the allure of the things of this world is very strong. And it finds a great ally in our own flesh, a phrase that encompasses all our fallenness, body and soul. And then there is the devil, of course, so that this trio of the world, the flesh and the devil are continually trying to get a grip of our heart and draw us away from God. And so we get repeated calls in the Bible, like that found in Colossians 3 and verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And I think it's significant there that covetousness is identified explicitly as idolatry. Not the outward physical bowing down to and serving a statue, 
but the inward draw and longing for things, for, for possessions that, that consume our hearts and their love and, and loyalty so that in our hearts we do worship, we do serve this thing, these things in creation rather than the creator. And taking seriously the warnings and calls to to kill off our sin in our hearts is really, really important. But actually, I would say that that battle to put to death sin is at best only half the answer. That, That has to happen. But it has to happen as part and parcel of turning to Christ. Our battle with sin it is supremely a battle for the love and loyalty of our hearts, for its affection and allegiance, its worship and desires. And if you try and stop loving and being loyal to sin and idols that you're serving, without growing love and loyalty for Christ, then you're not even going to produce an empty void in your heart. You'll actually just swap loving and being loyal to one sin, one idol, with another. Because you can't have an empty heart. You'll always worship and serve something. As Jesus is pointing out here, when he says it's either God or, or mammon as, as an example. What we need if we are really going to change, if we really want the, the fountainhead in our heart to be pure, is a greater and greater heart love and loyalty toward God and his son, our saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has to be the supreme object and treasure of our affections and allegiance. And this all has to happen with an extreme urgency and a sense of absolute priority. We have to keep our hearts. We we have to watch what we are loving and loyal to making sure that genuine heartfelt love and loyalty for Christ grows and grows and grows. And we have to do this with all diligence, above all things. Daily, moment by moment, we have to be stirring our hearts to to love Jesus Christ more and more and encouraging one another to do that. But we have to be reflecting on his cross and the price that was paid to rescue us. We have to be marveling at his resurrection and the power that comes to us to live in newness of life. We have to know that Christ is very present with us now and one day will take us into his very presence for all eternity. And particularly in moments of temptation, when the pull and allure within our hearts to to go after other things is so strong and and begins to gain the upper hand, 
We have to take extra effort and urgency to keep or guard our hearts, recognizing that our hearts are being drawn away to love and, and be loyal, to, to treasure and worship other things, other, other masters, other idols. And we have to be turning to God in those moments. And with all earnestness and diligence, asking and wanting to know the love of Christ for us and his worth and his glory so that we love him more than what seems so alluring and tempting to us. And, and we remain loyal to him from our hearts. The real battle with sin takes place in our hearts. Yes, our minds and external circumstances are significant factors, but at its core, it is a matter of what or who we love and are loyal to, with us needing more and more, moment by moment, to love the Lord Jesus Christ and have him as the supreme object and treasure of our affections and allegiance. So may the Lord help each one of us to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Amen.